And welcome back to a fresh episode of the Business Growth Show. I'm your host, Sam Dunning, co-owner over at webchoiceuk.com. And if you haven't done so yet, check out our weekly email where I'm sharing actionable website marketing tips, useful podcasts, free resources, and much, much more each and every Monday. To kick off your week with a bang, why not give it a try over at businessgrowth.email. Joining me today, I've got Gillian Goldberg. Gillian's the VP of Marketing and Investor Relations over at Gardnox Cyber Technologies. Gillian, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Great. Thanks for having me today. You are very, very welcome. I'm quite excited for this topic. This is a fresh one for the show. We're going to be chatting all things how we can, how you can learn to market to an industry that's got a more traditionalized, let's say, older school audience. So it's it's a new one for us. Um, so let's jump straight in, Jill. And I want to know how how does traditional industry marketing compare when it comes to what I guess I'd call more modern marketing, where it's digital led. Maybe you're marketing to people on LinkedIn or on Facebook that are more tech based. Maybe software as a service based audience um, audiences. What what's the differences? Yeah, so Gardnox, we're an automotive company. We you know we're automotive tech, which is nice and sexy, but at the end of the day. Uh, work, you know, if you're looking at all the traditional SaaS companies, the traditional tech companies, not exactly the same. So what we're really looking at is the biggest thing is understanding who our target demographic is and who our audience is. So traditionally in the automotive industry, um, you can kind of stereotype who the buyers are. Traditionally, um, they happen to be leans more heavily uh, on the male side, middle-aged, a little bit more reserved, very used to very traditional. They work at these massive conglomerates. All of our automotive companies uh, and suppliers are very, very large companies. They've been around for you know, over a hundred years and their current relationships with their suppliers have been in place for almost as long as they've been in existence. So truly understanding our buyer and their pain points is really, really important. Right. Um, you know, I, I look at all these other companies and their marketing strategies and they get to be, I haven't found a better term for this yet. So I always call it like the sexy marketing. I, I'm, okay. I'm, sure, it, I'm sure there's a better term for it. Um, but that's kind of, you know, it's you can do kind of really push the envelope and, and do these fun things. And at the end of the day, um, I have to take a step back and say, while this is fun and this is cool, does it work? And especially uh, this happens to me all the time. People will look at our website and say, it's a nice website, but it's not, it's not showing like the cutting edge of of everything. And I said, yeah, but it converts. I took my audience and my audience, this is, it works for my audience. So if it's working, why fix it? And yes, I want it to be cool and I want to push the envelope, but if it doesn't, if it's not bringing you anything, you know, we don't do things in marketing just because it's cool. We have KPIs at the end of the day. And if we find a way to let us meet those KPIs, like that's what matters. So it needs to truly be customer led. Yeah, great, great, great start. That's so, that's a massive issue websites I find as well in, in our industry because I'm selling websites and SEO with our company all the time. And like you say, so many people just, I don't know if it's, ego driven or driven from the c-suite or pressure from leadership but people want their websites to look awesome like you said they want them to look sexy they want them to look attractive but then at the end of the day like you say if it's converting 
the ideal client that you actually want to come to you, that you want to have conversations with your sales team, don't do not redesign it. If it's working well, then do not listen to them. Or if it isn't, then yeah, that's a different story. But yeah, it's a it's a funny one. I mean, it's really funny. Typically, you hear this from like investors a lot. Because right. investors that come from a very different angle. And I, I love, you know, it's so good, but you need to take that with a grain of salt. I also found that when I went to flashy with certain marketing techniques, it actually had the exact opposite of my intention, which actually alienated my customers even more. Um, or it wasn't showing up because typically these big companies have, you know, their firewalls are so, you know, intense. It was blocking everything. So any newsletter that I sent out was getting blocked. So it's like, okay, uh, you know, what are we actually working with here? How do you, how do we like, let's know your target market a hundred percent and build your marketing around it and not the other way around. Yeah. 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 So with that said, you, you mentioned understanding your audience. So we have talked about this a bit on this show, but when you've got a more traditional audience, is it more difficult? Because when we've talked about kind of marketing to an audience that's typically hanging out on social or they're using digital a lot. Then we've talked about things like listening to sales calls with software. We've talked about kind of running surveys on your website using tools like heat maps, Hotjar and all that good stuff. Is this possible? Or is it completely different when it comes to understanding your audience uh, from your perspective when it comes to traditional? It's very different. I can tell you like the majority of our audience doesn't necessarily have a digital footprint. Uh, right. they're, they're not necessarily on LinkedIn. And if they're on LinkedIn, they're not on LinkedIn in a major capacity. Uh, they definitely aren't on Facebook. They're not really on Twitter. Uh, the, that's not really where we're, you know, LinkedIn, we definitely use, but it's very different marketing tactics. It's a lot of, um, white papers. I found very, um, technical webinars have been amazing for us. And then reusing that information, uh, plugging into different, not databases, but like, I know I, I, re, I do a lot of research, you know, I have a very finite number of customers. So I know, you know, there's only X amount of automotive manufacturers, X amount of automotive suppliers that are relevant for us. So I map them very, very well. And I truly meet them on their level. So it's like ABM to the max, I would say. And it's a very different way of approaching clients. I don't get, you know, the, the LinkedIn ads, even we did all this AB testing. I'm like, Oh, this ad looks awesome. It's going to convert nothing. Like the most boring ad. I mean, literally it's like white background, even times new Roman, like that converted better. I mean, it's <laughs> wild. Um, but, but at the end of the day, I have to kind of let the ego go a little bit and say, okay, but this is how, this is how we are going to, to move the needle. Um, I think it's a very different type of marketing. Our marketing budget, like we look, we don't even do a lot of shows. Uh, we right. do the big shows, two to three shows a year, maybe. And we put a lot, a lot into that. I think when you look at a traditional market, face-to-face -face means a lot more. So even more than shows, I say customer days. So where we'll go to a potential client or client's client, and we set up a very intimate demo workshop, uh, super curated to what I already have addressed and know what their current needs are. Um, it's that face-to-face, -face, you know, we, on some level, we can do business through Zoom. Um, and I, the pandemic definitely taught us that. But now that we're traveling again, it's like, wow, the needle just moves so much quicker. Um, 
so we'll do personal demo videos and not the demo videos you see in SaaS companies, but really like we have our, our lab, our automotive lab, and I'll put, we'll put engineers in there, uh, different, you know, angles, different things that they're looking at and really do a customized demo. Um, and I'll even, you know, we don't love to do live demos, but obviously we'll do a live demo if that's what's needed. It needs to look as real as possible and as right. catered as possible. I think that's the biggest thing um, for us. Mm -hmm. Got it. So you mentioned a few things there, but what, aside from kind of these demos that are perhaps pre-recorded and things like that, what else? And you mentioned you touched on LinkedIn ads and perhaps doing a, an ad that you never thought was going to convert that was perhaps the most basic ever, but did. Aside from those things, how how have you found or what channels have you found actually do work on digital? Is there like, is there many or is it is it mainly kind of traditional face to face shows, in-person events? Yeah, so we do LinkedIn. Google ads actually is amazing for us. Uh, even like even though we don't go to shows and things like that, maybe I'll really try and target even YouTube ads around specific automotive shows uh, where I know that my target audience is going to be. Um, but we also do a lot of white papers, a lot of contributed articles for our target audience. So like, you know, more of the trade publications that they actually are in, I'll do uh, contributed articles, thought leadership pieces a lot, yeah. um, which is very important because automotive still like uses print media a little bit uh, still, which is kind of surprising. Um, not we, I don't do ad space. I don't really, that's not, I don't really believe in that. I do more of the contributed articles and webinars, paid webinars. I'm telling you like, this is something that I so believe in um, you bring in all the right people. And then not only that, it's not about all your live attendees, but it's what you do with the content afterwards. And I can say from our site, like I still get downloads on a daily basis for webinars I did three years ago. Got it. Slicing and dicing those and, and repurposing the content. Of course. I think, you know, we do need to meet our people on their level and what they're comfortable with. Um, and even though we're in a high tech sphere, um, sometimes we like to operate with a low tech mindset. Um, I know I do. It's like, sometimes, you know, you get all these complicated things to see a demo on a site and everything gets so automated that I'm like, ah, oh, I just want to talk to a person. And yep. I think at the end of the day, like it is the relationship. So, you know, I mentioned ABM and I know you've talked about this on your show, but account-based marketing, when they come in, I know exactly what, you know, this company's needs are as it relates to me and what the language they use. So I release a white paper, um, the next generation of electronic architecture and automotive we call zonal architecture, but a lot of companies have their own name for it. So I'm going to use their name. I'm going to use their vocabulary. It's not that hard to actually take a white paper and modify it. So Everyone from this specific automotive manufacturer, when they download or see this piece of content, it speaks their language. And that is a huge, huge conversion. I mean, for us, they, if, if it's not the way that they think about it or internalize it, they're just not going to, they're not going to look at it the same. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. You mentioned something interesting just now. You said paid webinars. What does that yeah. mean? So there's uh, a lot of companies 
that you essentially pay to do a webinar with. It's like co-sponsored um, by okay. them. So, and so you bring like an analyst, they give you an analyst. Um, they do most of the marketing. So I found one now, which, you know, they do a great job. I kind of explained to them who my target market is. And I only pay them if they meet, they get me X amount of uh, attendees, which meet my target market. And I actually approve or disprove these attendees. Um, I don't recommend doing webinars in a silo, just kind of by yourself. Um, it's a lot, a lot of extra work or resources that you probably don't have. And like, if I had access to these people, I wouldn't be doing this webinar. So like, let's, let's open up and actually, you know, I go to the trade. So I go to like an automotive specific webinar company, not just a general one. And yep. we get exactly what we need. Um, it's, that is the biggest, the biggest part. Of Got the it. Okay. So finding a company that's doing webinars with a specific audience relevant to your industry and then like co-sponsoring co the show and getting yeah, attendance. Exactly. Understood. That makes sense. Right. Like if you don't have mm -hmm. to, find the list yourself um okay and i was going to ask something actually you white papers how do you make those work because you mentioned the digital footprint of your target audience isn't that great how are you distributing them in front of kind of old school traditional prospects yeah i mean listen we definitely do the traditional stuff not traditional but the you know this new age of digital marketing we do the the linkedin i do my newsletters and and all of that uh, but I also, we even email signatures like work because we're emailing these people back and forth. I have a few investors who are very, very plugged into the community and I send everything to them in a very specific way that they can distribute to their uh, networks. Um, I also do it in a way where it's easy to like, once it gets in an organization, it's easy to disseminate across the organization uh, as well. Now, GDPR makes things really difficult in terms of emails. So I am big into, as I mentioned, business is, is done through people. So we'll kind of take, even in our database, these are our specific targets. Like these are, you know, our target accounts. And we will send a very personalized note to them. And sometimes okay. even in snail mail. Yeah, yeah. Like I think, you know, don't uh, overlook snail mail. You know, it used to be when you got an email, it was exciting and you got mail all the time. And now it's kind of the opposite. And when people like I work for an Israeli company, I'm American. I think my accent gives me away so much. But um, a handwritten note, a handwritten note and to have a nice printed copy and send it directly to who you know your person, your target person is, whether or not they open it or actually read it, it's going to sit on their desk and people are going to see it. Oh yeah, I can't. I can't tell you the last time that we got something like that. It's, like you say, it's so rare that you mm -hmm. actually get handwritten. Whether it's a note, whether it's a gift, or something like that, it just it definitely breaks through the noise for sure. It's um, yeah. It's yeah, they way. think about it. You, they'll look at you, and I'm like everyone. My team laughs at me all the time. I'm like big on QR codes, so like I send it, and there's QR codes on everything. So like, let's get you on digital. But if you're going to be more comfortable, like I noticed this. I was in one of our board meetings. And we have some amazing people on the board and they all just had everything printed out. I mean, even like, you know, when I send stuff for board meetings, I even send certain white papers and different things and they had it pr printed out and they were taking notes. And I was like, okay, so th this is my target demographic. 
So, you know, another thing I'll do is I'll send it to them or I'll send it to them digitally and be like, Hey, like I really value our relationship. Would you just give me a few thoughts on what you think about this? Yep. So people are much more likely to, to feel like an expert and to give you their thoughts. And, um, they like to actually like share it. If I implement some of their ideas, they like to share it with their team. So I just made a, you know, given myself a coach or a cheerleader at the, these accounts. So, you know, it is a little bit more time consuming, but it's also great market research. I mean, when you're in a traditional industry, meet them on their playing field. I, that, I, I just can't say that enough, but know what their playing field is. So, you know, humble yourself. We don't know everything and just listen. I, you know, I still have to tell that to myself all the time uh, to humble myself because it's, it's hard on the ego. Oh, it is. It is for sure. That's that's sound advice. Um, and I think especially when you're working on kind of larger account values, not something that we don't do enough, really. Something we need to do a bit more of is, um, yeah, kind of looking to to send those personalized letters, gifts and so on, because not many companies are doing it. Um, I know there's agencies that specialize specifically in that, um, but it is one nice way to break the mold when you have got that extra time to spend on account. So, Jillian, if you're up for it, I want to throw you in a hot seat and give you a scenario and see what your take is if you're let's if you're game. Do it. Cool. So let's pretend you're a marketer that's just been brought into a traditional company. Let's say if in this industry, we'll go agricultural software. I think that's a traditional industry. Um, someone in the audience might say I'm completely wrong, but I'm pretty sure it is. <laughs> and let's say they've they've been going they've been going a long time. Let's say again, I don't know, 20, 30 years. But you've been on board as onboarded as maybe one of their first kind of say let's say more modern marketers um and you've got a you've been given some growth targets let's say you need to to steadily ramp up monthly recurring revenue for, for their software product it doesn't necessarily matter what the software is maybe it's crm or accountancy whatever um but what are some of the first if that was your if that was yourself what are some of the first things that you'd bring into play if up to now they'd only be doing things like I don't know, face-to-face in-person events and trade shows. And that was their 90%. That and referrals was kind of 90, 95% of how their and existing clients was how their bread and butter of their revenue was coming in. What are some of the first things you'd want to put into play? Yeah, I mean, the first thing I think would be to truly understand the target market and who, who is the decision maker and where they are. I think, you know, there's so many times, especially in large organizations, we don't know who the decision maker actually is, but we might not touch the decision maker till the very end. I think it's so important in traditional industries to kind of get your hands dirty. So before you implement anything, to spend time with the customer as much as you can. So to go to their offices, to ask for a coffee, to understand where they spend their time. Uh, So are they on LinkedIn? Are they, you know, we found uh, a lot of our contacts in Germany use Xing, which is like their version of LinkedIn. So we had to open that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And understanding like all of that sort of stuff. So number one, get your hands dirty. If you're in the agricultural space, like I know it sounds crazy, but I would go spend my time in a field working. I want to know what are their pain points. Where are they spending the most, A, most of their time? Um, B, like, do you really get their pain points? Because they might not even understand their pain points. If your product is going to come fill a need, 
that they don't realize exists or how else they fill that need. It is just so important um, because I, we actually did this. I, we work a lot in the defense industry as well. And so I realized like they, they're not on LinkedIn. They're just not on LinkedIn. Um, but we actually did a billboard. I was shocked that we did a billboard and it converted. Wow. Okay. And, you know, like I would think in an, like in an agricultural field, like talk to other marketers in the field. I'm a part of a huge group of automotive marketers and we bounce ideas off of each other all the time. Like, have you tried this? Did it work? Why didn't it work? You know, we're yeah. not necessarily competitors, uh, but we work in the same, that same industry. So I've even like, you know, shared uh, negotiated booth space with other companies uh, for different things. Or like I made a huge hotel block for a big show and I said, okay, you guys get half of this block if you guys take care of whatever. I mean, mm. I just think making your, the people around you, your best friends. So before you spend money or even make a plan, do your research. Yeah. I think we so quickly get, we like jump in the deep end so quickly and we like, we have all these amazing ideas, but we don't get it first. Uh, especially, especially with traditional industry, if you come in and you tell them what's going on in their industry and how to do their job better, you, they're not going to listen to you. They just yeah. won't. It's, it's different than uh, different, you know, these more high tech esque industries. Mm. I, it's very important that you level set that. Chili Piper is an advanced scheduling solution for B2B revenue teams. Rather than listen to me ramble on, here's a super happy customer describing how Chili Piper has revolutionized the way they work. Chili Piper as a tool has just become part of our fabric. It's our meeting booking system for our prospects. And you'll be pleased to hear it just does it. It's like the ideal piece of software, which you don't have to babysit. It just does what it needs to do. My SDR team like using it as well. The main bulk of their role is outbound prospecting, which they use Chili Piper to book book those meetings. Ultimately, they are booking meetings for the account executive. Their handoff is working you know, really well. You just heard there how Chili Piper can free up resources and turbocharge your productivity. Book your free demo today over at chilipiper.com slash BGS. That's C-H-I-L-I-P-I-P-I. PER.com slash BGS, chilipiper.com slash BGS. Charles runs a software company. He gets a decent amount of leads through his website, through paid ads. But when it comes to the organic, non-paid listings on Google, his competitors are stealing his visibility, traffic, and customers. All because they rank higher than him on organic search with SEO, search engine optimization. He set up a call with WebChoice. They took the time to understand his business, goals, and plans, and crafted a long-term strategy to rank higher on Google. After a few months of working with WebChoice, Charles was above the competition and enjoying more organic leads than ever, and was even able to reduce his ad spend from the uptick in organic inbound leads. Want to enjoy more inbound sales leads with SEO? Book a free consultation today at webchoiceuk.com. That's webchoiceuk.com.
how often have you seen it where a company or where you go into a company and you really think that a channel is going to work and then it absolutely flops like you think for example i don't know linkedin ads or google ads or something like that you think it's absolutely going to kill it and then it's terrible it happens to me like on a daily basis <laughs> like i think it's like funny that we think that like you know after a year or whatever we have the answers and like the more i work in it the more i realize i know nothing I mean, mm. you know, it's like, I'm a big Game of Thrones fan. So, you know, nothing, yep. Jon Snow, like that plays in the back <laughs> of my head all day long. We know nothing. Um, it's kind of like, you gotta, you know, what is it? You're going to pick, you're going to miss hundred percent of the shots you don't take. So we got to take the shot. We got to figure it out. Uh, it works. Things work one month and it doesn't work the next. So just because, you know, LinkedIn ads didn't work for this, let's try it again. But at the end of the day, I still have my bucket of stuff that I've seen in the past that works. And like, if I have a piece of content that converts on LinkedIn, I'm going to refresh it and rebrand it and wrap it differently. And I'm going to put it out there again. But I think if we have a playbook, but that doesn't mean that the coach isn't writing new plays or modifying our plays as our competition gets smarter. Uh, that mm. was very much an American football reference. I'm a big American football fan, but unfortunately, I, I do... it's lost on me. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know the reference is totally lost, but uh, <laughs> we can talk about what you guys call football or soccer. Uh, we still we we have playbooks. We do scouting reports. We have a game plan, and sometimes that game plan doesn't matter how good it is; it doesn't work because of something. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like you said, it happens to us quite quite often. We we often test new marketing channels, and some of them flop. Some of them do well. Um, I like like that reference to Jon Snow. I, I actually want to use it on a meme on LinkedIn now. So uh, we might, <laughs> might do one later. Anyway, I digress. So let's say we've we've done some research. We've talked to our customers where they're at, whether that's on their farms, whether that's somewhere else, depending on agricultural. Maybe you've gone to agricultural trade show. Maybe you've booked in some dinners with your agricultural prospects, whatever, wherever they, they are. How do we convert the answers that they're giving us around kind of what they're doing right now, where they're using to get their information, the problems they face, their main goals, their main ambitions. How do we convert those nuggets of information into marketing, I guess? <laughs> into marketing. I mean, <laughs> I think, you know, you, you need to understand the medium and you really need to work on the story. What is the story? So, you know, like we always like this really nice and linear, the problem, the solution, like type of stuff. I think it's really important to show the before and the after of show me what I'm currently experiencing. And I want to see it side by side with what I can have with you. Because if you only show your product and you don't show it next to what I currently have, I don't get your product, especially in a traditional industry. So if you're trying to implement, uh, this happens all the time. People try and implement new software, new strategies in organizations. This happened internally. Gardnox, a lot of us come from the defense um, space right. and, and military backgrounds. And we were trying to implement a new software for project management. Okay. And everyone was like, absolutely not. The resistance was through the roof uh, because it wasn't presented well. It wasn't a bad product. It was just not presented well. I think the biggest thing with traditional industries is they're going, but I've been doing this for decades and it works. Why do I need to move? And if you don't show them, yes, the, the onboarding, why is onboarding the biggest issue? 
Um, how is it going to change your day to day? If I don't see those numbers, it's not going to work. Mm -hmm. And I think the biggest from a, a marketing point of view, it doesn't matter what medium you tell the story, as long as the story is, you know, is going to work, is going to be a big enough pain point. Cause I can say, wow, that's an awesome product, but it's just not a big enough pain point for me to, to throw in my basic Excel and uh, to move on to this new software. Mm. Which, yeah, you know. it's, from my experience, hands-on from selling to prospects, one of the biggest reasons deals don't close is because people stick to the status quo. Exactly. Not, not necessarily just the prospects you're dealing with, but maybe the C-suite leadership. They're too embedded in what's going on now. They might be spending thousands more than your solution, um, but they're so stuck in their ways with the current offer they think it's so painful to take the time to shift your offer that they'd rather stick with whatever they're doing right now. Um, so have you it's seen it? It's the fear of the unknown, a thousand percent. It's that like you're so, that is your biggest competitor is the status quo. And if you mm -hmm. don't understand the status quo, it doesn't matter how good your product is if you don't get what the status quo actually is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any any examples of how people can break through that? I mean, you mentioned showing, kind of sharing stories before and after and things like that. Any examples of what's worked for you? Or So here's a kind of a risky one, but if you <laughs> believe in your product enough, you say, okay, I'm going to show you zero cost here, what it can be. And you do a basic limited integration. And once they see that, if you believe in your product enough, that's where the money can come. It's like everyone who does those, you know, free trials of things. It's the same exact thing. If you believe sure. in your product enough, you do that. And that's going to show them, oh, it also, you need to give, you're going to have a coach there. So if they need to convince the C-suite, which is half the battle, that this is worth it, they, you need to arm them with the material. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I prepare the PowerPoints that my customer is going to give internally. Don't make them do extra work to sell your product internally. You sell it internally, whether or not you are giving the presentation or not. And I do that a lot. I put together so you know all of their internal stuff that they're telling. I even give them talking notes because... They want my product because they know how it's going to make their day-to-day -day easier, but now they need to convince the person who can actually write the check. Mm. Yeah, yeah, getting buy-in. How, how do you find it works? What are some effective methods when you're at trade shows, dinners, wherever kind of face-to-face -face, um, stands, whatever they may be, mm -hmm. of, of more traditional industries? What are some effective ways to actually get prospects interested and then start speaking to your sales team? So demos, you got to invest in cool demos. And when I say cool demos, it's not screens with cool dashboards and things like that. Uh, we actually just built an augmented reality demo. Um, so, you know, it was see the future with the future. And you really took a step in and you could see what you have now and it kind of like undressed the car in a way and you saw the hardware and you saw the software and you can actually um see what the future will look like with our technology 
so right. much, so much when you're, when you're marketing really deep tech, it's really, really hard to show a condensing demo. So I leaned into different next generation technology to do that. Now I have a super technical demo that we can sit on the side and have those technical conversations. But most people you see at shows are not those people. They're, they're more of the business side of things that are then going to say to their technical teams, oh my God, you have got to talk to this company. Um, also, they think it's really cool and they ask to take pictures, send it to their kids, things like that. I think the demo is, is the biggest part of it. We do a lot of reach out before. Um, you know, there's different things people like to do. I can tell you, so CES, which is the Consumer Electronics Show, is the biggest show for us. Uh, and people, you can just drown in costs to have a booth. I, I don't yep. do that. I actually uh, do a private suite. So I take out all the furniture in this suite. We bring in all the demos. So I have a demo area and then I have my private rooms. And the marketing team goes crazy setting up meetings beforehand. Uh, we do open houses. So I have like business cards, which are essentially an invitation to an open house that I give everyone. Whenever someone comes in, I hand them a stack of 10. It doesn't matter who they are. They might give it to someone else. And I found, um, I, I mean, it's just converted for us so well. Like it's not just about being at shows, but it's about how to maximize also like how much you're spending. I don't want any random person coming in here. Um, it also gives this illusion of exclusivity to people, which they really like. And when you're at a really big show, it lets people breathe. You know, they come, they can sit down, they have a coffee, they have food. Yep. I even, you know, I'm saying you can, if you need an extra 15 minutes, take it, stay here. And then we have people there that just talk to them. They do the small talk and they build the relationship. It's not this like fast paced, move, 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 a thousand distractions. And so when I find I bring them there, people just want to like, it's like that over, you know, they have too much sensory stuff going on. Yeah. 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 Have you seen any, um, I like the idea of showing prospects the future and showing them what can happen, like what superpower they can gain by using your solution. Um, have you seen any examples of, let's say any more cost effective or less budget based ideas of how people have done that? Or have you got any ideas for our audience? Yeah. I mean, so that's a great point. Obviously, demos are really expensive. Uh, we actually put the demo into a video too that we sent around. You can do basic videos all the time, quick and dirty. I find that some people like, like the less cinematic it looks, the more compelling and the more real it looks. So I think also leaning into your brand and your culture and, and all that stuff, it, like you can take videos in, in your lab. It doesn't need to be super crazy and compelling if you can add some some humor to that also you know videos uh product videos are not necessarily super expensive and it's the gift that keeps on giving so you need to decide you know at some point you do need to spend money and you need to spend money in the right way that can give you more things from it so you spend a lot of money on your demo and you get a good video and you can do a lot of stuff with it you okay. know, their budget is, is none of our good friends. I can say like, I know that we have CES coming up, so I'm going, okay, I'm not really looking to convert right now. And you know, my KPIs changed on my monthly conversions because we're putting everything towards CES. 
So I'm, I'm going to scale down my marketing while we prepare for all of this stuff for the next few months. So I, you know, like just because you built a budget at the beginning of the year for your monthly spend doesn't mean it can't change. It doesn't mean it can't be reallocated. Um, there's so many ways to build demos, to build, you know, amazing marketing materials on nothing. Fiverr is amazing. You can not believe what, what we spend on Fiverr and what we're able to do. Yeah, no, I agree. Sometimes being a really tight spot as a marketer, as even a business owner, um, they say necessity is the mother of all invention or something like that. But when you're in those tight mm -hmm. spots, that's when you get scrappiest, I find. I found when I've been in startups and things like that. So that's, yeah, I like, I like those points. Now, I think I interrupted you a bit and just jumped into some of my own perceptions of traditional marketing because you talked about doing research, understanding where your customers are, their pain points, where they're getting their information, where they're going to, to rely on trusted sources. Is there anything we've missed when it comes to kind of using that information than actually going to market? Oh, I mean, I think the biggest thing is the, the feedback loop. I, you know, obviously marketing and BD and sales are so tightly connected. I make sure that all of our BD guys are actually reporting back to the marketing team, their findings. I also think that on some level, our R&D are also our target customers. Like they are the exact same personality. And so much we kind of separate that. Like I'm going, okay, like, this is the guy at my company who would be my customer at, if they were at the customer, like, let me talk to them. Let me understand how they think. Let me use them when I'm saying, will this campaign work? Will that campaign work? Like use those people because I found so many people at our company, like they think exactly like my target customer and it's so not the way I think. Okay. And You're talking about like the directors, the owners of the company. I'm talking about the engineers. Ah, right. Okay. Yep. Yeah. The engineers, it's so important. I mean, a lot of the engineers, you know, the directors and the owners are definitely, you know, more the decision maker or whatever, but who, who's going to, who am I going to grab the attention of first? It's the engineers who are going to be working with my product anyways. So okay. as we're building it, like they need to be in that conversation as I'm saying, is this compelling to you? Do you care? Do you know this? Is this obvious? How should I present this information, especially from a graphic perspective? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. I've not heard that before. That's 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 different. We've not really talked about engineers and getting feedback from them, but that's quite a, quite an important thing, I guess. Yeah, I mean, like for us, they're our target customers, and engineers think in very black and white. Mm. And when you throw them all the shades of gray, because that's how us marketers kind of like things they just don't know how to digest it okay all right so you've given some nice ideas of, of how to work out where your customers at what's important to them then actually ideas to, to put that marketing into play we've talked about a few few different channels how can you tell if you're marketing let's bring it back to the agricultural uh, scenario where you've been thrown in as a marketer there how can we tell if our marketing is actually working because Sounds like traditional marketing is a hell of a lot different or more difficult to measure. Obviously, with digital, with ads, with your website, there's a lot of things you can track. I mean, B2B attribution is far from perfect, but there's a lot of things you can track with analytical tools um, and all that good stuff. But how can we track our traditional marketing efforts and what should we be focusing on? 
Yeah, I think, I mean, that's a great point. How do you like tracking the traditional marketing efforts? Obviously, it's very hard to build KPIs as a marketer in general, we say that. Uh, but also, I think it's important and it's hard to actually measure, but it's every time that you're in a meeting and someone says, you know, it's a newer account, but they know about you and they right. know who you are and what you bring to the table. That is a win for me. Like every time I kind of do a check, that's one of our KPIs. It's really hard to look at, but if you get in a conversation with someone that you came not through marketing, but it came to you from somewhere else, but they, they know of Garden Ox, they know of our solutions. They, that's a win. That's something that we can actually track. Um, when we get a meeting at a trade show and they're familiar with us or they know about us or they're using our terminology for things, we're doing our job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it is harder. And I think that's one of the things like when I keep saying lose the ego. Yeah. You also need to have managers who understand that. Yeah. How, um, because I don't know, this is more from my own ignorance, but I know that, for example, in a lot of tech companies, a lot of B2B companies in general that aren't traditional, they're going to be met, marketers are going to be measured against kind of leads they generate, whether that's marketing qualified MQLs or sales qualified leads. Um, is it the same in traditional kind of marketing or is it more you just measure on revenue and as long as that's going up, it's fine? Or are there other metrics that you tend to be tracked against from your experience? It's a little bit of everything. We track everything. At the end of the day, you should track everything. Um, but yeah, we do, we are measured on bringing in the MQLs and the SQLs, obviously. Uh, but the bi biggest thing we're measured on is how many of our deals can you trace back to marketing? Right. And so every deal we have, we, you know, retroactively find the blueprint and where they came in and what touch points they have. And so it is tied to revenue and we can actually prove on every single one of our deals, how it has come through or touched marketing, uh, even if it wasn't a, you know, digital lead that came in. Yeah. 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 And is that more from your sales team kind of understanding where the lead original source was or. Yeah. I mean, that's from us understanding where the original source was, but for us, you know, if it's, it's not just one person, it's typically a team of decision makers. So we kind of, we have our own formula of reporting of that. So we actually do a whole report essentially on where marketing, the marketing department has touched this account uh, as well. So, you know, even if it came in whole, you know, a thousand percent through sales, but we're the ones who built the, the deck for them to sell guard knocks internally and we helped them present it to their management then that's still a win for marketing because what even though it's not a traditional you know linkedin ad it's still a yep. marketing effort gotcha gotcha makes sense makes sense last one jillian so yeah. this this is this is a a tricky one for any marketer let, let alone if you're operating in, in a, a traditional industry but how are some ways that you found to get c-suite buy-in if you're looking to splash out on a new marketing trade show or do something different, or maybe it's something that you've never done before as a company, but you've strongly believed from your customer research that it's going to work because they've all told you that they're going there. Maybe it's a new publication. Maybe it's a niche podcast. Maybe it's something else. How do we get C-suite buy-in when we're almost 99% sure it's going to be a hit? 
I mean, that's a great question. <laughs> I, I, I don't have one answer because I get CC wheat buy-in 5,000 different ways. I think the biggest thing is don't overcomplicate it. Typically when we have, we've been spending all this time on things and we have this amazing idea and we come in and it's like this big presentation about what we want to do. You need to get to the bottom line. Uh, you know, the kiss, keep it simple, stupid. You mm. got to keep it as simple as possible. This is the money we need to spend. These are our goals. And I know we can do it. Um, I think that is the biggest thing. I need to know that I have every answer. I'm going to present this in two minutes, but every question I'm going to get asked, I have every answer for. And that is the biggest thing. It's over preparation, but also don't overcomplicate it. I think because we know it so well, you know, they don't, my CEO doesn't need to know what SEO is, right? Like as a marketer, it's like, it's a, duh, of course, but he doesn't need to know what that is. So keep yeah. it super high level and speak to them on their language and in, yeah. in their language. Got it. Yeah, I like I like preparing the I like the idea of preparing all the all the questions that they might ask, and yeah, getting getting those ready because I mean from my experience anyway, a lot of C suites just want to talk in numbers, understand a rough idea of what it return. As long as it makes business sense, then they'll they'll usually get in depending on what the proposition exactly. is. And if it's a new budget line, I'm telling them where I'm cutting the ass to the budget, where the money's coming from. <laughs> yeah, there's there's that. That's the other half of it as well. What's getting pulled out? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly, for sure. Cool. Jillian, look, really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks for sharing insights and in all things how to market a traditional industry. So really uh, appreciate the, the value shared with myself and the audience today. So with that said, please do tell us more about how everyone tuning in can learn from you, connect with you, and anything you want to promote. Yeah, of course. Well, please check out Gardnox, uh, www.gardnox.com. That's G-U-A-R-D-K-N-O-X. And you're welcome to also follow me. I'm a contributing writer for Entrepreneur as well, where I talk about all of my marketing tips uh, as well. So please reach out to me. LinkedIn is uh, my second home. So looking forward to hearing from everyone. Awesome. And we'll put all of those links over in the show notes at businessgrowth.marketing. And with that, thanks once again, Gillian. Really enjoyed the convo. Thank you. Good stuff. And as always, if you enjoyed today's episode, a quick rating on your podcast channel or subscribe on your YouTube is much appreciated. And we should catch you on the next episode for more No BS, no BS actionable marketing tips to grow your business and grow your revenue. Cheers for tuning in.